Recording in progress. All right, here we go. Okay, so I want to talk about words today, how they have different meanings depending on who you are and sometimes even what your relationship is. Why don't you float one or two of the words that we're going to talk about so people have an idea of what this means. Okay, healthy. Healthy, okay. Um, I think you had a big conversation this weekend with a bunch of people about what the word abuse means, which a is hard, a heavy one. We had a hard time with that one. I know. Um, understandably, mm-hmm. right? Um, even the word self-care yeah. is, means something different. So I just want to like talk about, um, I just want to talk about, don't you? Yeah. Let's, let's jump in. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Here we go. This is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 745. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, words. Words. What do they mean? How subjective are they? Is there there actual definitions for these words? I think even... You know, Webster's has one definition and whoever's Webster's competitor probably has a different definition. Well, and that's kind of the thing is I think something in the field of psychology that is very common is people redefining words. Mm-hmm. You know, like Brene Brown does that all the time in her research. Like, you know, and she's not the only one. Like you kind of read like, oh, actually what this means is this. And I really kind of want to process with you. It's not me talking at you about this, but I really want to – because I don't have final answers. But I want to kind of open people's minds to – Sometimes we get really stuck in what this word means or we use a word and kind of throw it on ourselves or our partner or our kids and we don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah, we don't understand. We don't know it. how to define it. So you were going to talk something like a tournament, a bad thing. Uh, yeah, well, just a few things. So if somebody's like, wow, I want to hear Todd and Kathy talk about these words, I timestamp this podcast. Oh, good. So you very easily can fast forward to when we start talking about it because it will show up in the show notes. In the meantime... Um, I wanted to do two quick things. One is I wanted to read a little bit of a blog that my friend wrote that I think you will like, sweetie. Me? Okay. Who's Uh, your friend? uh, His name is Jim Herbert. Okay. And uh, he's- Oh, I read it. Which one? Oh, well, I read the one that- He writes a lot, so it might be- The one where he recognized what his wife did. That's exactly the part I wanted to read. Oh, I sent that to you, yeah. didn't I? Oh, you still should read it for other people. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long, but I'm going to read a part of it. But first- I want to say something to my friend. I think his name was Scott. I just met him at Pickleball. Uh-huh. And this would be not the tournament of bad, sweetie. This would be the tournament of curious. Okay. Where is my tournament of... So what is... What tournament is... of bad. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. We need a tournament of curious. So I, I was about to play Pickleball with this guy I just met this morning. Okay. And then he had to pull out. Okay. Um, he's like, I can't play. I don't know if he hurt his foot, whatever. And then as I was leaving, he's like, I'm really, really sorry that I couldn't play with you. And like, it was no inconvenience to me because somebody just just filed right in. Okay. He's like, I have a pacemaker and my body tells me when it's getting too high or so I can't play when that happens or something like that. What what was interesting to me, I'm like, dude, (laughs) you're you're listening to your body and your body is saying your heart is working too hard. So just take a step back. And I just thought it was, he felt so bad for making me wait or, or for, for not playing. And I just thought that was like, why is this guy so apologetic for listening to his body? Do you really have that question being married to me? Like he's, he has people pleasing stuff. Yes. But but this is his heart. That's, 
I know. So I think for you, there's a clarity because you are you and you're like, you just do what's good for you. Like people, this is kind of what we're talking about with words, right? But I think the the thing that you don't understand is he might be super competitive. So he feels like, oh my God, I just left a teammate in the lurch and that's what you don't do. Met about a silly pickup game. Right. But again, we are um, not talking about. My nose is running, sweetie. I know. If we weren't on YouTube, I'm not going to blow the, my nose on on um, on the podcast. That'd be bad. So if I'm we weren't gonna... on YouTube, I wouldn't even laugh about it. But it's just because sometimes people watch us, and you know. But we're human people. Um, we are human people. We're human people. So I was just going to say he's probably super competitive and doesn't want to leave a teammate. Yeah. Even if he just met you, it's a team, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I just totally left him. Number two, he probably cares a lot about mm-hmm. not disappointing others. It could be part of his work ethic. It could be part of his home life. There's a part of me that loves this guy. Yeah. I just thought it was like this is his heart beating and his body tells him when to sit down. All he had to do is like, dude, I got a pacemaker. You know, I'll catch you next time. But to the depth where he was apologizing to the stranger that he just met, I thought was very interesting. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, I guess there is an extreme here. But the reason why I'm like... I can totally relate is I was just telling you, you know, I went to yoga this morning really early and I just happened to long story, but the, my right hip has kind of got pulled out because you shoveled because all I was weekend because I weekend. wasn't around. <laughs> so I have been kind of taking care of it over the, not very well though. Cause I also sat in a car yesterday for six hours, but anyway, I'm thoughtful about that. I don't want to com- continue to re-injure it. And the fin- funny thing about yoga is it's very healing, but if you don't listen to your body, you can injure yourself. You have to be really thoughtful about that fine line, right? And in class today, we were just doing all these twists that were like the worst thing for my hip. And I had to leave early mm-hmm. because of that. I guess I could have just laid on my back and and stayed there, but I'm like, you know, it's I, I'm going to go. And I always feel bad yeah. for the teacher. Now, I used to be a yoga teacher and people used to leave my class because of whatever work or they were done or whatever. And I never got mad. It's not about getting mad. It's just about you want to give respect to the person you're. Sure. You know, I don't I it's like I want to go up and explain to her. Um, Here's what's going on. Yeah. So she understands why. And part of it is my own ego. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't leave yoga classes. I know. And I and there's a part of me for sure that aligns with not leaving things early, showing yeah. up on time, being very rule follower, you know, because he was about to jump in and play and then he pulled out before we started. Totally. So. Rule follower, that probably aligns more to you than people pleasing. Yeah. Because you're a rule follower. Well, I, yeah, and I'm also a people pleaser, but probably not as much as a rule follower. Yeah. Uh, maybe I am. Who knows? Maybe. And that's what we're talking about yeah. is these words. Like, I Let's think... Let's add that to the list. Rule follower versus people, people pleaser. Please. And are they, like, I think sometimes we can make ourselves feel better by attaching to a word that is more socially acceptable yeah, because you don't want to be known as a people pleaser. So you're like, I'm a rule follower. Mm -hmm. And really are you, are your actions the same? Yeah. And are, is one more feminine Mm -hmm. and is one more. Rule follower is definitely more masculine. People pleaser is probably more feminine. Yeah. And and people pleaser sounds so self-defeating and self. Disempowering. Yeah. It's so disempowering and rule followers like, no, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, I mean, we just kind of, it, that's a perfect example. So I'm um, sending love to your friend who. Yeah. Well, and he seemed like a sweet guy. And then he's like, oh, I, I really like watching you play. And I'm like, okay, great. Thanks. It was just a weird compliment. 
Well, he, he's saying you're good, right? Yeah, but we're all about the same level. I'm not, I'm no better, no worse than the average. But anyways, it was just, he was not a nice guy. Yeah. And hopefully I'll see him next time I play pickleball. Yeah. So my friend Jim Herbert uh, took a walk. To, we took a walk together a few weeks ago and we started talking about motherly responsibilities, fatherly responsibility. He's an older dad. He had his baby when he was 50. His wife, I think, mm. was like 32 or something like that. Okay. I don't know. So they have, there's quite a range. But that has nothing to do with the story. He he shared with me a blog because he's also, he's also a writer. And I'm just going to read uh, a few parts of it. And then, because I think it's something most moms would love to hear from, uh, from most dads. Yeah. Nothing has taught me more about motherhood in the last six weeks than watching my wife, Christiana, navigate her way through both the blissful and the agonizing moments of her own motherhood journey. You see, I get to be super dad in the eyes of the world. It, it's really not that difficult to be crowned super dad and handed a cape. All it takes is to make sure you change your fare of diapers, prepare some meals, and handle bedtime. Oh, and also make sure you're seen in public alone with your child right. or children doing things like shopping or playing in the park. That earns you super dad's bonus points. Historically, the bar has been set pretty low for dads to be considered super. Pause. <laughs> yeah, correct. Totally agree. Yeah. Right? And I shared with him what what led him to share this with me is because I told him the story about when you went to Mexico when our kids were little for the first time. It was your first break in like 18 months or whatever yeah. it was. And I took both girls, because we only had two at the time, to a birthday party. And it was as if I was a superhuman. Right, like, oh my gosh. So moving on to Jim's blog, being super mom, on the other hand, well, from what I've learned, to to, just to be considered an adequate mother, a woman needs to martyr her own personal needs on the altar of life in order to avoid getting a societal side eye from the general public or even her friends and her own family. She needs to put her own physical and emotional pain after childbirth on the back burner while she sacrifices any semblance of regular sleep for months or even years. Many moms like Christiana have a deep calling to breastfeed. Some have success on that path and some do not. That journey alone can bring a tremendous amount of judgment from others or from self based on its success or failure. If a woman is able to breastfeed and she chooses to continue that process beyond the first few months, then she gets to drag a breast pump through the outlet mall while shopping for deals during her precious few hours of alone time she gets each week. If she chooses to return to work way too soon just to save her job when her 90 days of unpaid maternity leave expire, she then gets to try to pump while at work at the inconvenience of her coworkers, and inconveniences in quotes, and managers who have to do her job for her while she locks herself in a dingy office bathroom or storage area twice per night. Um, so pause there. Any thoughts, sweetie? No, I mean, I that is the reality. And I remember, because um, I've pumped so many times in like a stall, like mm-hmm. a bathroom stall, which is not super clean, yeah. you know, and you have to be so thoughtful because you're pumping milk. Yeah. Um, and I remember the first time I went to a bathroom where there was a room to pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not everywhere. They're like in random, like a random Nordstrom's or you go to like somewhere in Disney World or something. You're like, oh, my gosh, something's built yeah. to pump. And I remember feeling, you know, like he's saying, very seen. Like, and, and it seems inconceivable that nobody, when building places like that, are thinking about us, you know. Yeah. But of course they aren't because... I don't know if um, I don't know if we were taken into consideration. 
I, I like want to like be very gender specific and be like the person who designed it probably wasn't was not a pumping yeah. person. Right. Men were deciding. Yes. Let's just say it. Let's just say that. So, uh, so in closing, so what I'd like to say to you this year on Mother's Day, Christiana, is simply this. I see you. I see you trying and succeeding at being the best mother you can possibly be. And this is more than enough. I may not always do a good job of making you feel that you're enough. And I'm painfully aware that I too have subtly judged you at times for not being good enough. But I pledge to do my best to end that pattern now. I pledge to see you as the amazing mother you deserve to be seen as by me and everyone else. I see you playing in the grass and teaching Emma how the magnolia blossoms are the first to fall each spring. I see you getting your workouts interrupted or altogether abandoned because of the pitter-patter of little feet. I see you using your own body as shade for Emma from the hot summer sun. I see you reading books with Emma on your lap in chairs, on the couch, and sometimes even on the floor. I see you teaching her about how much fun and powerful the lake water can be. I see you offering horsey rides even when your own back is hurting. So he goes on to, to mention all these millions of things that he sees his wife doing. And I just thought it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think that um, I would love to, you know, I'm kind of envious that, that Jim has had when he wrote this, the ability to see this and empathize with it in a way that I think I also see, but I don't do a good job as I should of communicating it to you, sweetie. Well, and I think it may, the first time I read it made me totally teary because that's all anybody wants, right? And I don't just mean moms or women. I mean anybody, because yeah. I think the, I'll try to explain this, you know, without getting too in the weeds about it. Um, but I think, so for example, when I came down here to podcast, like my hair is still kind of wet. And so I'm putting on the earphones and I'm trying to, you know, like look normal with the earphones and my hair is wet. And Todd's like kind of joking or like, you could just put a hat on or whatever. So there's these two layers. There's number one, I need to at least look decent because I'm a woman who's on YouTube, right? And then there's the second layer of, and Todd, you weren't doing this, but an outside force shaming me for not being ready and being worried about the way I look. Okay, it's the total Barbie, you know, monologue, which is be this way, but don't be this way. Do this, but don't do this. And I think there's a lot of when you are a mom, there's like, well, if you want to go work out, go work out. And then a kid comes in and says, I need to talk to you. So you don't go work out because you're going to be with them. And then you'll say, well, I didn't get to work out because this kid wanted to talk to me. Well, you should just tell them you're busy. You should, well, then find another time. There's there's always this feeling of I'm doing it wrong because there's always a way to point out how there's another, there's this path I'm missing versus someone saying, wow, you you gave up your work up, workout time to listen to her. Mm-hmm. That's really, she probably appreciated that. Yeah. Not a, not a, um, oh, you poor thing. You don't want like sympathy, but someone's saying, wow, that's mothering. Sure. And you're like, okay. So you're okay with like giving up the workout because you did something that was important. Now, I'm not, and everybody don't read too into this. I'm not saying give up your workouts all the time. What I'm saying is, you know, I, I told Don, um, all my kids were home. They're all back at school or my two oldest are back at school. And um, my youngest is doing school in her room today because it's so cold here and school shut down, shut down. Um, but when everyone was home, like I was meditating and people were walking in the room again and asking me questions while I was meditating and taking my car. And like, I was back into that world of where everybody's like 
all over me and I don't have that time. Mm-hmm. And I, it's hard to go back and forth, but that was the first 20 years of my life. Yeah. And, and the, the thing that you want is not someone saying, okay, I'll take over the kids. Now you go do a bunch of things. You want someone saying, I see that. Yeah. You just want, which he did. Like, I see that your meditation got interrupted, not now I'm going to fix it, but your mothering is beautiful. Yeah, just noticing. Yeah. All the, all the sacrifices. The sacrifices and that you are, I think that's the fine line again, is you're not, I don't need sympathy. I, I, it's, I, you know, I loved the like shielding your kid from the sun. Mm-hmm. We're doing that all the time. Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to, sh- like, you know, just before I went up to take a shower, like I was home earlier. I could have gotten in the shower earlier because you were like ready and you're like, when you came home, I was, but I wanted to sit downstairs with Skylar while she ate breakfast mm-hmm. because she's got school inside today. It's kind of blowy. I didn't want to be in a hurry. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to walk in and be like, me, 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 me. And I got to go somewhere. I want to be like, hi, you. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to make you an English muffin? Um, tell me how, you know, how are you going to jump on class? You know, like, I don't want to be. And so I think sometimes that can be perceived as you're not putting the right things in order. And I feel like I am. You're not saying this, by the way. But there's this societal thing of like, you're not on time or you're not getting as many things done. And I think that for a man or another woman or whoever to see that mothering is very slow sometimes. And sometimes it's very martyry, you know? Sure. But it's also, um, that's what it is. Like, that's what, mother, to, to me, again, we're talking about words. Mothering means different things to different people. But to me, it means paying attention to these people. Well, and it's funny because, um, first of all, I do do that, which is, you know, yeah. you don't have to blah, blah, blah. You know, so I just want to oh, yeah. own that. Yeah. I, I'm like, oh, it's fine. And, and I don't. I don't do a good job of empathizing and seeing the world through your eyes. But what's interesting this morning is what I said to you before we press record, I said, are you ready? Like, that's literally what I said. And then then you're like, well, I got to do all these things. Yeah. So that's, I, I just feel like because you're so used to people just not like being dismissive of your experience, um, your radar's up for being like, no, I'm not ready. I need to do all these things. Well, do you think that I was mad when no, you no, no, said, no. are you ready? No, Cause I'm... really I was like, no, cause I still have earphones in. It had nothing to do with my appearance. I don't think you were mad at me. Right. I just think like, no, this is yet another thing that, that I have to do and you don't, which is true. Right. Yeah. Which is, uh, yes, I, I totally see what you're saying to me this morning, five minutes ago or whenever that was more conversational than yeah. it was. Let me teach you a lesson yeah. because I was you, cause you said, do you, are you ready? And then you said, are you having a hard time with your earphones? Uh, and I said, no, I'm trying to make my hair uh, look yeah, halfway yeah. decent yeah. because, and you're like, no, you don't need to do that. And I'm like, yes, I do. This is the about last night. Scene. It's the total about last night scene and it's every conversation that, and that's the point I was trying to make is there's this double whammy with, I'm going to be gender specific now because this is between you and I, of hurry up mm-hmm. and you don't need to do that. Yeah. And that's not being seen yeah. because yes, I do. I know not a lot of people watch this on YouTube and I don't even have any makeup on. It's not like I'm trying super hard, but I can't like go, you, you like have a hat on and you still have your workout shirt on. Sure. I could do that, but I get, I mean, honestly, I've told this story a million times, but I want to say it again because it lends itself really well. I just was telling 
couple weeks ago, this lady who was doing my nails, this story. I used to do TV stuff and I stopped doing it because of the comments on my appearance. Right. So think about that. Like that, and that was my own choice. Nobody needs to feel sorry for me, but I was doing TV and people are like, but when you show up, they do your makeup and they do this. No, they don't. Maybe they do now, but they didn't 10 years ago. Yeah. They expected me to look good when I walked in. And I don't know if you guys know this, but normal makeup does not translate on camera. Mm-hmm. You have to have really heavy makeup. Remember when they did that uh, kids in the house thing? Yes. And they put all that makeup on both of us? Yes. And then when I did the Lewis House show, remember I went, the lady did the makeup and I walked in and I said, I know I look crazy. Yeah. I said, but when you see me on TV, it'll be normal. And so I'm saying this because my good friend, John Duffy, who is um, going to be a part of our conference, he did TV all the time. And I would tell him- He was just on I Kelly Clarkson. He was just week. on Kelly Clarkson. And he used to do the Steve Harvey show. And I said to him, Part of the reason I stopped doing it is I feel like the I we there wasn't um, as much social networking back then, but I would get texts or phone calls from people about like, oh, next time have your hair blown out or what's up with the red vest or whatever. I'm like, did you hear what I said? Like, I'm coming on to talk about something. Mm-hmm. And the appearance was getting in the way. And I was like, Todd, you know, it'd be great. A podcast. Boom. <laughs> right. Because. Then, because I and I feel fine about the way I look. This is not a self depreciating thing. This is a it got in the way yeah, thing. Societal, yeah, societal, BS. and and so I was like, that's it's too much time for me to worry about that. Um, are we ready to hear Dan and Deb have a kind of a fight <laughs> sure. about last night? Go ahead. I might have to bleep some stuff. I don't know, but um, Kathy and I also do a podcast called Pop Culturing. Did we do? Yeah, about we last did night? about last night. All right, so this speaks a little bit to what we're talking. Okay. About. Who invented sandwich knife? That has nothing to do with this. All I'm asking for is a little help. Yeah, because you tried to turn this nice dinner into a goddamn Norman Rockwell painting. <sighs> Would you please not put this on the counter? You see this black stuff? This gets in the little cracks in the porcelain, and then I get it on my fingers. I'll make an effort. And would you make an effort to please put these wrappers in the trash can? Or why don't you just flush them? What? Flush them. You want me to waste eight gallons of water so that you don't have to look at a piece of paper with the word Tampax written on it? Oh, you didn't even say Tampax. You had to say those wrappers. Does it offend you that much? No, I just want you to hit the trash can or the toilet, not the floor. Fine. I'll work on my dunk shot. But what I'm trying to say to you is you don't need a lot of this I think you look pretty the way you are. (laughs) No. You look great just the way you are. Some of us have to work at it. Why do you wear all this stuff? To impress your boss? And then they go on from there. But that last part is the one is the part I wanted to share is, uh, you know, you you look pretty the way you are. I'm sure I've said that to you. Well, and that's the thing is like, okay, so, um, you know, it's the whole, you know, and I always think of the Amy Schumer thing, you know, the makeup thing. We played it recently, so you don't have to play it again. But where they're like, girl, don't wear any makeup. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't wear any makeup. And they're like, whoa, put some makeup on. So. What do we hear when we hear about marriages sometimes where you get more into middle age and and again, it can go one way or the other. It's not always gender specific, but where someone's like, they're not taking care of themselves anymore. They don't look good anymore. And so there's this like, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to buy all this makeup. You don't have to do that. But oh, you're really letting yourself go. There's like this double whammy. And I am willing to bet because you work with men that men feel similarly, mm-hmm. kind of like I'm making this up, but maybe a partner is like, 
you know, a woman is like, you know, you need to stay home more. You're always at the gym. You're always going out. And then two weeks later, they're like, you're gaining weight. Mm -hmm. You know, like it doesn't have to just be one way. But I think sometimes um, there is this expectation of, uh, well, let me go back to to not go on that tangent. Your friend Jim's, um, you know, thing that he wrote is that what he's saying is I'm seeing these small things and I'm not problem solving for you. I'm I'm not saying you know, where are the 10,000 other things you should be doing? I see that you're blocking the sun because from our child. most guys, if they're an average or slightly above average dad, yeah. they will maybe try to fix or whatever. But I think Jim goes one step further and tells her, probably in her love language, let's just assume yeah. she's words, maybe yeah. she's not, how much he sees. Right. And... As much as good of a dad and husband I think I am, I just I am inspired by his mm. ability to notice and recognize it because I do notice it probably in the moment, but I don't log it in my brain. Like it would take me a long time to write down all the things that you do because you do so many things. Jim somehow logged this in his brain and then wrote it to her in a beautiful Mother's Day letter that he shared with the world. And I just think it's such a wonderful example of what I think relationships need which is to to be seen not not for us guys to fix the problems that we think our wives have right or to see exactly and to see that those things that your wife is doing have meaning mm-hmm. because like the he pointed out like you know talking to her about the lake and the water and how things work and so like you know generally, like if you're having a conversation with your child about their feelings or having breakfast with them or paying attention to them, or like yesterday I drove Cameron back to college and you're like, my, my hip was hurting and you're like, I'll just do it. And I was like, well, I already told her, like, we already have a plan that I'm going to drive her back. And you actually didn't say anything, but historically you'd be like, it's fine. It's fine. And I think that's a relationship thing. I think that when I say I'm going to do something... Sweetie, are you a rule follower? No, it's not. It's not that. I was just kidding. (laughs) It's not like... And there are times... Like, say I was sick or I had a migraine. Of course, I wouldn't... You made a commitment. I wouldn't hurt yourself, myself. You made a commitment to Cameron... Yes. ...that you would be the one to drive her. Yeah. And and I wanted to. And, And there... So in that scenario, you were great about it. But there's like two ways to look at that. Someone could be like, well, then deal with your hip. You know, in or it could be like... You're really committed to her. If anything changes, let me know. Mm-hmm. Like see see what I'm doing rather than um, and again, I'm not I, I feel bad because I feel like you think I'm talking to you all the time and I'm not. I'm speaking generally. See what I'm doing instead of noticing how I'm flawed in my thinking all the time. Mm-hmm. I think there is a again, the problem solving part of the problem solving of a partner is there's always, let me point out how you're doing it wrong. Oh, and us guys love saying that. Versus let me notice how you are actually making a commitment to something different than maybe I don't make a commitment to. Yeah. Which is emotional well-being, relationship building, what the lake is doing, how the sun is shining. There's a lot of, it's that conversation, you know, that we had about the holidays, about how the expectation that things just like that are taught. Yeah. And who's doing that? Yeah. And it's often women, um, and and men too. Uh, obviously, men too. But there's, you know, sometimes men are even more into nature and teaching that. Sure. So I don't, I don't want to take that away from anybody. Yeah. But that's important. That is just as important as learning how to manage money. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah. Now you may say differently, and you know what's so cool? 
On that note, do you know that Cameron's taking a money class this semester because of you? I do know that, yeah. and I want to take it with her. <laughs> I know. University of Iowa offers a, a class personal on financial personal financial, and it's a um, asynchronous. I think it's got a cuter name, like money something or whatever. But yeah, it's just how to manage money. And what she's going to find out is all these things that I've been saying to her and her rolling her eyes on, which is you know starting an IRA or 401k, not a 401k, starting an uh, individual retirement account. She's been the one that has made fun of me the most. Like, why would I ever put money away right. only to see it at 59 and a half? And I think you know this, and you're right. Like, she probably has rolled her eyes the most. But doesn't that make sense for a teenager? What teenager? Oh, yeah. Unless you're does. Alex P. Keaton. But I just have a feeling that she's going to be like, oh, wow, my dad maybe maybe didn't. I've heard this before is what she's going to realize, I think. Yes, yeah. oh, definitely. She's heard it before. So let me take, can I take one more story? Can I want to pull it from what you just said sure. and not focus on Todd, but focus on everybody. So my daughter is like, I'm going to take this money management class. She was on a wait list for it. And she's like, I knew, I knew dad would love this class. She was so excited and she got into it, you know? And so she's taking it. It's two credits, blah, blah, blah. And so Todd is pointing out, she's always rolled her eyes, but a lot of times as parents, can we recognize that them rolling their eyes when they're young is normal mm -hmm. and that we don't need to get frustrated about it? They don't understand how the world works. Mm -hmm. But the piece that I want Todd or anyone to pull from that is she's taking a money class because she heard you. Yeah. We get so focused on the C. See, I told you, mm -hmm. you're not. But Or why didn't you listen to me before? Or if you would have started before, she heard you. Yeah. She knows it's important, but she needed to do it on her time. Sure. And I'm so grateful she's doing it in college. And we're acting as if she's even learned anything yet. She hasn't even started. Yeah. But I just found it to be very satisfying. For sure. That she was doing it because of you. Yeah. I'm excited. to, And it'll be something wonderful for us to connect on. Right? For sure. Because I think she's going to be... She's such... Not that math always equals good financial management, but... I think she'll be good at it because she loves math mm -hmm. and she loves when things like work out. She's a little more, she's more, she's my child who's more literal, yeah. you know, like everything is a black and white, black and white. Yeah. And she, I think she'll very much enjoy seeing money grow. There's a lot of black and white and personal financial. Yes. For sure. Yes. Um, so two last things. Um, actually three last things. Okay. One is, so Jim Herbert, my friend has a podcast himself. Ah. And I just want to give it a plug sure. and it's called, it's about life. And he does it with this other woman, and it's really deep and spiritual and and logical, and it's just really good. So check that out. Um, second thing is we did do a pop culturing on about last we night. Did. I don't know the last time we recorded a pop culturing episode. We've been T Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Uh, and then last thing about um, right about now is where I put in our promo um, in the middle of the show. So instead of us doing it. Um, we're about to talk about um, Team Zen and the conference. So right about now, right, what's it, that song? Right about now, funk soul brother, dun, check dun, it dun, out dun, now. now. I don't know. Okay, yeah, just when you said right about now, it just reminded me of that. So so um, here we go. So let's jump into the topic. Oh, so the promo. I the thought promo, you meant we were going to do the promo. No, no. Okay, I don't need to listen to it twice. Today. Okay, okay. Hope, so buy your tickets. Come to conference, please. It's in two weeks. 30 years ago, the greatest threats to teen health were drunk driving, pregnancy, and illicit drugs. Today, they are anxiety, depression, suicide, self-harm, cyberbullying, screen time, and serious mental health disorders. 
their experience is vastly different than our own. So let's get together and talk about it. ZPR 2024 is a two-day in-person live event, January 26th and 27th in Chicago. Go to zenparentingradio.com and get your tickets. Join the circle, which is the Team Zen membership platform. It's an app with Zen Parenting Radio's complete parenting content, plus live talks on Zoom, all in one place. We have small group discussions about money, raising healthy sons, differently wired families, and Kathy even has her own exclusive women's group. It's only $25 a month. You can cancel at any time. Our motto is zero pressure, 100% support. Okay, everybody, there's three things you can do for us. If you haven't already, follow this podcast. That's good for you because you don't have to go looking for the show, and it's good for us because it helps people find us. You can subscribe to my Zen Parenting Moment newsletter, which comes out every Friday. It's just some information for you to make you feel better about your day and about your parenting overall. And then three, if you like this podcast, you will love Zen Parenting the book. I put together everything that we talk about on this show, all the essential points, all the things that people ask us about in one place. You can find Zen Parenting the book anywhere books are sold. Um, we kind of already have talking talked about sure. the topic a little bit. It's not new, but let's let's focus on the word healthy. Okay. Let's focus on healthy, but I also, if possible, we have time, I would love to talk about sympathy and empathy too. Oh, sure, okay. sure, sure, sure. So I think that it it's funny because I've been listening to podcasts for the last two or three days, as I always do, but um, Jason and Ellen um, from the relationship school, yeah. they were talking about what a healthy relationship means. And so this kind of, I'm feeling them right now as we discuss this, uh, they didn't so much focus on what the word means as figuring out for yourself what a healthy relationship is. But that in itself, I think sometimes we use the word healthy to kind of like rule follower, right? Where it kind of keeps us untouchable and we can say, this is what we're focusing on and this is what we want and then nobody can question it. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? Because Todd, if I were to say to you, I think our relationship should be more healthy. What, you'd probably be like, okay. I would say in what aspect is <laughs> right. it unhealthy? Right. And what are some of the aspects? Is it communi- from a communication standpoint? Right. Is it from a sexual standpoint? Right. Is it from an intimacy intimacy standpoint? What's yeah. the difference between sex and intimacy? Sure. Is it from a parenting standpoint? Maybe I'm parenting the girls different than you are. So is it from, we were just talking about this being seen? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, what I want to connect with that is, you know, Remember we played the Taylor Swift song a couple weeks ago oh, yeah. and and she says in it, you know, there's a where she said who only you only she only wanted you to see her. Like and sometimes guys are like I'm sorry, I'm I it's hard for me to not do guy girl here, but it, there's a lot of like I do see you. You look good. Mm-hmm. I see you. And being seen is different for everybody. What does being seen mean? So, Todd, if I were to say to you, um, what does being seen by me mean, like to you? Um, well, the first, and this is probably right or wrong, the first thing I think of is when we're going to go out for a date, because uh-huh. this is the easiest example I can come up with, you know, you do your hair and your makeup. But and I want to know what you think being seen is. How do I see you? How do you see yeah. me? Mm-hmm. Um, like Todd's like, oh, Kathy really sees me. Oh. Why? Um, how do I know that you see me? How do you communicate Mm -hmm. that to me? You tell me that I'm good at things and you tell me the important work that I do and you 
when I get a raise or a bonus, you say congratulations. Um, you tell me I'm a good dad. You just told me on the podcast that I influenced Cameron to take mm -hmm. a money class. Mm -hmm. So that's off the top of my head. So what's interesting about that is this is important because you and I talk about our love languages all the time. All of those things are words. Mm -hmm. And you claim to not need words. Mm -hmm. But those words that I share with you, you feel seen. Mm -hmm. So why I'm pointing this out is not just to Todd, but I think sometimes it's very easy. Like Todd will say, I'm an access service guy. I don't need words. People don't need to tell me things. And I always call bull crap on that. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to be seen in a way where someone's saying, I notice you. And even because like if because you've told me before that sometimes the way you feel loved is I take care of the girls in a certain way or maybe I clean the house or do things. And I know I know those are very gender specific, but I do things that go unseen and that's how you feel loved. But if I only did those things and I never told you that you were valuable and important, I don't know if that would be enough. It wouldn't be as impactful, but I do claim that the one of the best gifts the, one of the best ways you love me mm -hmm. is being the amazing mother to our three daughters, and which is acts of service. Yeah. It has nothing to is, do with words. It, it is. And that is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the biggest ways that I feel you love me is the way in which you are so patient and almost always err on the side of putting your own needs aside for the sake of our daughters, like you did with the English muffin this morning mm. instead of getting in the shower. So that is for me how I just, you know, you're the best. Oh, thanks. That's that's nice. I appreciate that. Yeah. And and the plus is being seen is definitely um that's an acts of service, but that when I say what you do is valuable, wow, that was really good. That was smart or congratulations or you earned that. That feels good too. Mm -hmm. And and you know that. Like all all love languages are we have all we of all them. We all have all. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like we're trying to but I think that there are some, you know, it's kind of like I think in some people's minds and you tell me if I'm wrong, words and gifts seem shallow. Um in, of course, in some people's minds, yeah. I, 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 gifts are not at all important to me. I think it's probably fifth. And even yeah. if like you wrote me a card or gave me flowers or something, I'd be like, great. And four seconds later, I would move on with my day. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that's just my own. I think gifts is probably fifth for me out of the five. So yeah. just and which is why I suck at gift giving. Getting better. Working on it, mm -hmm. but I saw. Oh, I love my my gifts this Christmas. Um, yeah, so that and so I think when we're talking about, uh, you know, we we're kind of getting off the track of healthy. But what does healthy mean? Part of it is how do we feel seen? Mm -hmm. Because if we are clear, like we can, I literally want to take the word healthy and like slice it up with a knife mm -hmm. and be like, what does this mean to each person? Because what I don't like, and I see. Lots of people doing this, and I even see therapists doing this. But we use a lot of anecdotal evidence to to decide how something is. And I think the most challenging anecdotal evidence is when someone has their own personal experience and they decide that that's how it is for everybody. Yeah, that's just silly. Right. They'll say, my relationship is healthy because I do, you know, I go out on a date once a week and, you know, we never sleep apart and... 
Um, we have sex once a week. And so we have a healthy relationship. So that's what everyone should do. Right. That's ridiculous. That's what you do. Yeah. That is what you and the person you're with have decided to do. And that's um, we're only getting one side of that equation. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, you know, even though anecdotal evidence can be really good, like I use it all the time. If I'm talking about like teenage girls, it's like, cause I talk to a lot of them. I take that information and I do it. It does help me come up with ideas, but I don't put it on everyone and say, so this is the truth for every teenage girl. And what's tricky is we all, all we have is our own experience. Or right. I mean, I guess we can quote a, a scientific study, I guess, or yeah. something like that. But Or if you're in the field of working with people, yeah. you have a lot of anecdotal evidence because yeah. you talk with people all the time. What I hope is that when I do share my experience, which might be considered anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence, that it resonates with whoever happens to be in front of me. And it may not. When I'm coaching guys, I'm always like, hey, dude, this is just for me. What right. I do is blah, blah, blah. Now, it might that might be the opposite of what would be best for you. But and, and most of the time, I hope whatever I'm sharing has some value, but it may not. Well, sometimes the examples of what we do can expand to the other person's awareness about what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't necessarily think that what I do is what everyone else should do. But if I do something that is different than the norm, I like to share that. So then someone could say, well, if you're doing that, then maybe I can do this. Mm -hmm. So they may not do that. They may not do the exact same okay, thing start, I do. Start with that. And... But they may say, well, that expands. It, it decreases my, you know, like when our kids were little and I used to always talk about how I really don't participate in a lot of the PTA stuff. I don't participate in a lot of the school stuff or the sports stuff. I'm I'm pretty absent from that. She doesn't make get many brownies. <laughs> don't. And and it's interesting that you say brownies because then when my girls were in Girl Scouts, sometimes the Girl Scout leaders would say, hey, will you come talk to them about self-care or whatever? And I'm like, of course. Like yeah. I didn't have an aversion. I just knew that I didn't want to go in and be like, that's not where I shine yeah. in those. So I sometimes would share that with my clients and I wouldn't say, so quit brownies, get out of there. It, that's not what I meant. What I meant was you can do things to figure out what works for you rather than trying to accommodate a norm. Yeah, conformity. Conformity, thank you. Yeah. And you, so that's the goal. So when you share with your clients, hey, here's what I do, they may not do it exactly, but they may be like, well, you know what I'm going to do? It's similar to you. Mm -hmm. And so I think expanding awareness is really important. That's why that's why conversations, obviously therapeutic ones um, or coaching ones, but also with friends is helpful sure. to hear other people's stories. Yeah, that's yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so the definition, as I don't know, I think I googled uh, clinical definition of health. Oh, okay. Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. I don't mm. even know what infirmity means, by the way. Um, isn't that like illness? Probably. You know, if you're infirm, you're not so, well. So uh, a complete physical, mental, and social well-being, that's health. Yeah. Well, I don't know any of us. Are any of us completely grounded and do physical, mental, and social really well? I think it's always our goal, and I think we have glimpses of it where we're like, I, I think... I don't know about you, but when I have days or moments or an hour or <laughs> a second where I'm like, ooh, everything's really good right now, I <laughs> really try and say it out loud. Yeah. I'll be like, ooh, I love this. Notice the I moments. feel so good. Yes. Yeah. Because it's fleeting. Yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, listening to a Kelly Corrigan podcast. Um, I think it was an old one. She was talking to Jen Hatmaker, and she was talking about how 
she, you know, she's had a lot of loss in her life. You know, she lost her dad and she lost one of her best friends. And, you know, I, I feel like I've had, you know, a lot of loss as have you. And, um, and sometimes, you know, like my mom died a year ago and after somebody dies, you're like, I will never take anything for granted. I will enjoy everything. I won't get pissed when I'm driving around. I will just appreciate every moment. I'm not going to care if it's cold outside. Like you, you make these grand declarations that you're never going to like, never like be annoyed again because you've had this loss and this grief and this pain. And I think that's what pain feels like is where you're like, I will always appreciate life. I, I, I think that's part of its teaching. But what's funny is like, it could be a couple months or three weeks later and you're pissed because, you know, like the car in front of you is moving slow and you get mad at yourself because you're like, wait a second. I promised myself I wouldn't get annoyed. Yeah, pile that on. Right? And Kelly Corgan, her her quote is, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like that. It, everything that I just said, it's like that. Meaning, it's like that that I get annoyed because someone's driving slow. It's like that that pain tells me maybe get annoyed less. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the lesson from it. Um, I think that we, the whole idea that we're supposed to be, because I'm, I'm taking this from the thing about health is, being optimal at all times. No way. Yeah. No way. No, we're we're wired. You know, I'm going to quote Gaddis, and he certainly didn't make it up. We're wired for connection and disconnection all at the same time. And the disconnection is scanning the environment for threats, like survival, defense mechanisms. Like we can't get away from that as human beings. No. And we're wired to connect with each other too. It's a both and. Right. And I, and he, you know, you're using that, but that's rupture and repair, yeah. right? Rupture and repair, rupture and repair. That's what we do you know, all the time. And you know, it's funny, I I was going to, we'll share this at the um, conference too, because I thought it was so cool. There's a study, and you probably know about it. Have you ever seen the the faces study with infants where they would, you know, have a a baby and then they'd see their mom. And if their mom had like no affect Mm -hmm. at all, it really bothered them. And so you kind of see how an infant connects with a mother and what they, they learned a lot from that study, which is, you would be bad at that. I would be horrible. And be like, Kathy, walk in the room and don't connect with your (laughs) infant daughter. I wouldn't do it. And honestly, that study is not great because you're kind of messing with the baby. I don't know if they would be able to really do this again, Mm -hmm. but what they did learn from it is that, you know, like pulling an idea out of it is that 33% of the time we are attuned Mm -hmm. with our mother when we're little. Okay. And we can connect, we can, I don't know how to put that into a marriage. I don't know how it connects to other relationship, but Todd, 33, do some fast math for me. A hundred percent minus 33 is what? 67% of the time we're not Mm-hmm. which means 67% of the time we're rupturing and repairing, rupturing and repairing. Yeah. So the idea that we're supposed to be in tune with someone all the time, even an infant and a mother, yeah. is research-wise, scientifically, not possible. Are we attuned, like, let's just say partners, like uh-huh. life partners? Mm-hmm. Is, do, are we attuned... 10% of the time? Do we have any idea? No, I don't. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't know how to apply this study to marriage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it works that way um, because I feel like the infant mother bond is so different. Yeah. But let's say that the infant mother bond is the most intense mm-hmm. because, right? Yeah. You know, I, it feels that way. Oh, it's more, it's the most primal. Primal. Thank you. Still only 33%. Yeah. 
So I, that gives it. So if you and I were to make something up, we have no research, but say it's 10% of the time we're in tune. 90% we're not. That's a lot of rupture and repair. And it doesn't mean we're always in conflict. Like, don't pull from this conversation that it no, means we're... No, attuned doesn't mean dis, you know... Right. The, like the, whatever, the opposite of attuned. Right. It could be neutral, right? Right. Yeah. It could be not seeing each other. Yeah. It could be lost in our own minds. It could be attuned to someone else. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't mean that we're in a fight. But some of it is we're missing each other and we need to, there's been, or there's an argument and we need to repair it. And so the idea that lack of conflict equals health is baloney because, and conflict just means, let's go back to Jim Herbert's, um, you know, quote or what he wrote in his blog. (laughs) You keep correcting. I know blog. I can't say the word blog. Um, He is saying I see now, I understand how to see my wife where she feels seen. So in sometimes in a partnership, a rupture is like, I know you see me being busy, but do you see what I'm doing? And that conversation is not necessarily something that's going to break us up. It's something that is going to, it's a more intimate understanding of what being seen means. Well, I just, I wrote down like 20 minutes ago, I haven't gotten around to saying it, but there's an art Mm-hmm. to being seen for sure and it could we could you know downshift this into love languages but a, let's say for you and i i might be like no i do see you and this is how i do it right if it doesn't land right then you're not doing it well right and then you got to tune in or ask or figure out because a lot of you know dudes would complain i just don't understand my wife i she wants me to see her but i see her all the time like <laughs> if she's saying she doesn't feel seen then you're doing it wrong. Right. I mean, A, it's like A plus B equals C. Yeah. She's saying, I don't feel seen, therefore something is not happening. And there may be a curiosity and a deeper discovery. She may say, I don't know what it means yet, mm-hmm. which can feel like crazy making. Yeah, I get it. Right. But it's also, she's trying to figure out, and she may figure out, hey, what I realized is that I needed to see more of myself. Yeah. You know, like that can be. It's not it, It's not one person's job to see someone enough where they feel whole. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to do that for themselves. But it's okay when you're in partnership or in relationship to feel like that person is attempting to see you in a way that makes an impact. Yeah. That it, it's, these are all very like nuanced understandings. Like there is, for example... Like you just said, there's an art to seeing people. I may not be great at a bunch of things, administrative things or financial things or math or, um, you know, certain sports or whatever, chess. Like there's a lot of things I really am not good at. Um, But I'm really good at knowing what people need. Mm -hmm. And, And that doesn't mean I, that doesn't mean I'm right all the time when I'm, you know, like I still ask questions and I stay curious, but even that's an art, you know, like I don't walk up to people thinking, I know exactly what you need. I just know how to access them or feel that something is not being met. And what can be interesting is that if that is an art that I'm pretty good at, sometimes we can throw words on it like people pleasing mm-hmm. or martyrdom. And while there, those words do mean something, meaning I can get too far into worrying about other people, there's also this really easy way to disregard my skill. Dismissiveness. Correct. Like it's your, you care so much about people, it's your fault that you're not getting things done. Mm -hmm. Versus like if Todd was focusing on 
our finances all day and he didn't do his work or something for me, he'd be like, don't you understand the finances are the most important? And most of the world would be like, yep, you're right. But that's a piece of life. Yeah. That's a capitalistic society mentality. And it's it's forgetting the relationship piece. Yeah. Spoken from a two. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm a three on the Enneagram. Sorry right. for those of you who don't like or understand frameworks, but three... I value getting things done right. so that I am seen for all the things that I do. Right. Um, and twos are all about relationships. Right. right. And can we hold them in both hands? Like I didn't in any way mean to say that you're missing the boat because you're focusing on finances. I was actually trying to say, I think the culture supports you more. For sure. And so... Threes, we live in a three society. You, Yeah. You like blend into society so everyone pats you on the back and says, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. If I'm not ready because I'm having a conversation with someone or if I st- I'm like your friend this morning who was like, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry I bailed. Then people are like, God, dude, get over yourself versus he's being super kind. It's probably a two. Right. And he's being thoughtful about you. Yeah. And even though we're strangers. Right. But and to you, that's like that's strange. And to me, that's like. Yeah, 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 that's what you do. And you don't need to give yourself away in the process. Again, nuance, balance, blah, blah, blah. Um, but anyway, so, so... we've gotten through one word and we're 51 <laughs> minutes in. But is that true? Did we really just get through one word? Well, we wanted to talk about abuse. Being seen. We talked about that. Oh, yeah. We talk, yeah. I mean, as far as our, pre, our pre-podcast our <laughs> meeting, right. which was about four seconds yes. upstairs. Yes. Um, so I don't know if I want to derail it going, talking about abuse, but we can. Well, and you and I, that's a, it's a strong word. It like shifts the energy of the podcast because it makes us like, you know, kind of get a little bit more tight. Like, ooh, we don't want to offend anybody, step on any toes, and it's more serious. Um, I think it's important, though. I do too. And and I'll start by saying we don't have an answer. No. Because so if someone's like, well, what is it then? Give me, I mean, Todd could read you the clinical definition of abuse if you want to hear it. But I think this can also be relative depending on the person that you're talking to. Yeah. So let me just give a backstory okay. of how we got here. Okay. I ran a piece. I was at a men's weekend this weekend, a men living weekend, and I ran a whole activity on leveraging conflict, like using conflict to make relationships stronger instead of being scared. And we identified our conflict style and we did all this, but I got thrown a curveball because one of the things that I learned was that you're not, there's a, like a qualifier that Gaddis puts in his book is that this is, this is not meant for people who are in abusive relationships. Correct. Yes. So I just said that really quickly at the beginning saying that if there's abuse in the relationship, then this is not, you have to get out and keep yourself safe. Right. But we got into like a 25 minute discussion about what abuse is. And it really kind of threw me for a loop because I was trying to do all these other things. So, and I said to you, I had a hard time explaining, you know, I'm, I'm not a definition guy. I, I can't stand like, what's the definition of this? And I'll like come up with something, then I'll hear the definition like, oh yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but what you and I, when we were talking in the kitchen yesterday, there, the answer is what is abuse? Now I'm about to read what the definition is sure. when I Googled it, but for me, the answer is it depends. Yeah. Now there's some obvious examples sure, like, oh yeah, duh. Like you hit somebody. A man hitting right. his wife yeah. repeatedly, blah, 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 that's abuse. Or one time, obviously. yeah. yeah. Abuse, according to whatever I just Googled, means any knowing or intentional act on the part of a caregiver or any other person which results in physical injury, 
unreasonable confinement, mm. cruel punishment, sexual abuse, sexual exploitation of a vulnerable adult. Mm-hmm. They didn't use the word emotional abuse in there, huh? No. Okay. And, you know, it's whatever website I happened to land on. Mm-hmm. So, but I Googled, you know, clinical definition of abuse and that's what it said. So mm-hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily that good of a definition. It's so narrow. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that's, this is why every so many years they try and improve the DSM, which is the, dis, uh, you know, Diagnostical Statistical Manual for Therapists to upgrade what the new diagnosis is for people. They're always trying to requalify and re you know, commit to, to symptom, you know, what the symptomatology is like. And it's the same thing with, with like, um, giving the, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The definition you're, you're always having to rework it. And I think that what's interesting is I, what I told Todd and, you know, I don't, I don't know if the guys from men living listen to this podcast, but the first thing I said was I would love to be in a room with a group of men and hear their definition or understanding of abuse. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that as a clinician, I would love to do that. And that obviously, I have been with men who have discussed it, but you were with all men yeah. having a discussion. And it would be really interesting because women have these discussions all the time and there is a clarity of the power dynamic, right? Well, and so so if, a, if let's just say, let's keep it heteronormative for okay. a second. If a man hits his wife- yes. And let's just assume that the man is physically bigger and stronger yes. than because there are some marriages where there's a the woman is more physic physically sure, superior. Sure, we we've had those. Uh, yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, man hits his wife. That's physical abuse. Correct. One time, that's mm-hmm. physical abuse. Correct. Where we struggled with there's like all these nuances. Like let's say a woman is screaming at her husband. Right. One time, is that abuse or is that woman's having a bad day? Right. Like, I don't know. If a woman does that every day for a week, I would say, oh, we're leaning into some abuse. Right. But if does one time mean that that's abuse? I, I don't know. Well, you and you're kind of mixing apples and oranges because you're talking about, you know, if a man hits a woman, it's abuse. But if a woman yells at a man, is it abuse? Those are two very different well, let's things. Well, say, let's say a man yells at a woman. Uh-huh. Is that verbal abuse? Um, well, and that's the thing. There, it, this like it is where which way this is going. where you slice it up. Where it's like, can there be an abusive inner, uh, like a, an abusive experience versus this person is an abuser? Do you know what I mean? Like, right. there, that that verbal outburst felt abusive because it felt like you were coming at me. You know what I mean? That felt, I felt afraid. Mm-hmm. I felt like you were blaming me. I felt like you could get even more inflamed mm-hmm. or enraged and I felt scared. Yeah. So that felt like an abusive experience and being able to, because here's what's the conversation you and I had is that some families have a way of interacting well, they yell at that each other. I may view as, wow, that feels abusive. And they may say, that's my norm. That's how we talk. And that, and I'm not giving it a pass because if you're in a partnership with someone who doesn't find that a norm, then you need to work out something that's going to be more healthy for, and I'm going to use that word for both of you, more um, manageable for both of you. And that's why, and and let me get back to saying why I would love to hear men talk about this is because it is a, I think men are, um, obviously we know this statistically, I don't need to beat around the bush, are the ones who are often being called abusers, Mm -hmm. right? Because of what they've done or their experiences or whatever. It does not mean men don't get abused. Of course. Because of course they do. Sometimes, a lot of times, by other men. Sure. 
that's what don't you find that interesting like because a lot of times we'll look at the marriage and we'll say the the few story or the stories that we know there's not few there's there's many out there but of a woman you know kicked them or hurt them or was verbally assaultive or whatever but a lot of times men are being abused by other men Mm -hmm. and i don't just mean molested i mean like verbally abused i mean like talked down to so i think men are also afraid of other men of course wouldn't you say that yeah you know, I, there's no doubt about it. Right. And so I would I'm more interested in more of like a not anthropological, but sociological listening. I would I just want to be kind of like a fly on the wall because I would love to hear how, you know, men relate to that word. Well, and I think the reason one of the men really wanted to double down on what abuse is, is I, I don't know this, but it's possible there could have been some historic pattern yes. of abuse. Of family. Maybe a parent, parent maybe yeah. an uncle, mm-hmm. physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, whatever that uh-huh. is. Now, what Gaddis says in the beginning of the book is, um, this is not for abusive relationships. Right. right. He didn't say abusive moments. He's like, but then what's categorized as an abusive relationship? Is it one time a year, my wife yells at me? Is that an abusive relationship? I don't think so. If it's once a week, Maybe. I don't know. Like, I don't, there's no clear cut to any of this. There isn't. And I think you're, because of your brain and the way it works, you're trying to be very logical and mathematical about it. And I think this becomes clinical. Mm -hmm. I think this becomes like, if somebody is unsure, it's kind of like, you know, someone's like, I don't know if, if I have a drinking problem. Or if, and someone could say, well, you do because A, B, and C, and you do, but they need to figure that out with a clinician or someone in AA or someone, you know, that they need to have a process, you know, to figure these things out. And if somebody is questioning, am I being abused? It's a necessary conversation to have with somebody who can help you work through that. Because most of the time we're not questioning that unless there's something that needs to be dealt with. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean we label it. Yeah. This, this is where words... This is why words are so interesting. We're so afraid of certain words that we won't talk about things. Right. Like they're, you know, going way back into Zen Parenting Radio um, archives is in the first three or four years, something that I always talked about was there are certain words that I don't use. Mm-hmm. And now these words don't bother me. Like I didn't use the word husband. Yeah. Because I had learned from being a single woman in my 20s for a, you know, single for a long time. And people would talk about their husbands to me with this negative mm-hmm. connotation. So when you got, when we got married and you were my husband, I was like, oh, that word makes me feel like we're not in the same relationship we were in before. Mm-hmm. So I prefer, and I didn't walk around calling you my boyfriend. I just was like, Todd and I, I, I didn't I didn't have a romantic relationship with that word. Yeah. And so now I'm fine with it. I, I've worked through that, but I'd gone through that with the word God. I've gone through that. And I think that you have to, or divorce, people are scared to death of that word, yeah. right? And when you really kind of dissect it, sometimes that's what then creates, and I'm putting this in air quotes, a more healthy experience for sure. a family. no doubt. So I think when it comes to this word abuse, we don't have, you know, like I said, we don't have a final answer, but it's it, if there's any question about it, I don't think you, Todd, or I, Kathy, can say, well, let me tell you the definitive definition. Yeah. I think it becomes a more clinical, personal Sure. Because like you said, say one more thing about it. 
if I'll just use your friend, you know, who was like unsure about it and he may have a history of being abused. So he may be more triggered by things that you may not be. Of course. We because, all have a different right? tolerance exactly. level of comfort with anything. And he may say, that felt abusive to me because it reminded me of my past. Yeah. You it know, activated a wound. Correct. So it's very, it's, I don't, I don't like to use it's dicey or difficult. It's nuanced. Yeah. And I think that our ability to, again, as friends or clinicians to not pl- apply so much anecdotal or personal onto other people and instead allow their experience to dictate what they do next and, you know, support S- them in that. Some of the words that we didn't get to, like I just wrote down add addiction, right? And we're not going to get into it because mm-hmm. we're an hour and two minutes in, but yeah. like one person, um, you know, some people would be like, well, an addiction is anything that compromises the well-being of your life. Well, right. if I have too many Red Bull vodkas last Friday and I wake up hungover on Saturday, then by definition, I didn't get anything done that I wanted to get done. That's would be, but no, that's just like a one-time shot. So like there's nuance to all these words, empathy yeah, and sympathy. I still don't understand how sympathy is a helpful thing. I understand what empathy is. And I, there's these sympathy cards. And as my understanding of sympathy is it sucks to be you. Yeah. According to Brene Brown yeah. uh, definition. So and, and and you know, I think sympathy cards is just a part of our cultural yeah. lexicon. Like we we just call them sympathy cards when really she was trying to dig into the fact that sympathy is very on the outside of your experience. Mm-hmm. I'm looking like for example, there's somebody I know that I don't see very often at all, but I know that a parent just died. And I so I wrote a card and sent it. Now, I am not fully involved in her emotional experience because I don't see her. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels a little more like here's sympathy, not in a, oh, sucks to be you because I've had the same experience, but more like I'm not going to, I don't need to go there with her. But with the people I'm working with, talking to people I love, care about, connected to, sympathy is Mm off-putting. Whereas empathy is... I don't know exactly what to do here. I don't have any final answers, but I want you to know I'm here. And I'm not going to run away from this. I'm not going to turn away from your pain. And that's, you know, sympathy is is a little more on the outside of the experience. One more curveball. Okay. And then we'll close shop. Okay. Uh, We're having uh, a discussion this weekend about funerals and death. And uh, we talked a little bit about the the idea of the celebration of life. Yeah. And I get annoyed uh, a little bit by the celebration of life idea because really? what it does is it takes away from from my experience of being really sad. And it's almost like it glosses over the celebration of mm. life, puts me in a different state where like, oh no, we just have to celebrate this person's life. But in the meantime, they're gone and I'm sad. So mm. I don't want to celebrate anything. I just want to be sad. And it totally makes sense. Of course, we're going to celebrate their life. So it's, I get, I, I'm still navigating my uh, relationship with the idea of the celebration of life. Well, I think I could help a little bit right. is that you, in the way that you just described that, you're saying that you need the space to be sad in that experience of the 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 funeral we'll just mm-hmm. use the word funeral yeah. that you're like i want the space to be sad here when really that's like a four-hour window of time mm-hmm. if you have a celebration of life that doesn't then keep you happy from there on like 
for example, um, I definitely would say both of my parents' uh, funerals were, and your mom's, I think, too, were very much celebrations of life. Like, we did a lot of laughing. Mm-hmm. We we even dressed a certain way. You know, like, it was more, it wasn't, let's, uh, even though we did cry, the focus was on, these are all the f- great things about my mom, sure. right? Let's celebrate her life. But when that service was over, I was sad again. Mm-hmm. So that experience didn't take away yeah. from the grief. Yeah. Like that is that is a moment to, and I think this is especially true, Todd, is especially if somebody dies tragically or unexpectedly, their their death is not their life. Mm-hmm. That's just their death. Of course. And so if you are just at the funeral focusing on the death, then you miss the however many years they were here. Mm. So... I totally hear what you're saying. Like you're saying, let's not jump over grief. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, this is sad. But at, you know, at your mom's wake, at my parents' wake, at all the wakes we've gone to, you know, friends, we have laughed and cried. Mm-hmm. So does a celebration of life mean we're not sad? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's just for me, it's sometimes it's a, it's a, we're calling it something to gloss over what actually would happen. But yes. anyways, we can kind of go on. Yeah, and, I get it. And last, last thing, uh, one of the men on the weekend, and I, I don't remember, it was some Native American tribe, and I'm going to screw up the quote, but it was something like, you're not dead until you're forgotten which I thought was really powerful. Wow. Like I still remember my great-grandmother who died when I was in sixth grade. And it was just a very sweet moment when he shared that because we're all kind of like holding some space for some people who have died and that's what he shared. It was so beautiful. Well, then I feel like an extension of that is we're never dead because even if my grandchildren's grandchildren, grandchildren don't know Kathy, Mm -hmm. they are of me. Yeah. Without you and I and and our like I what I love is to show when the girls see pictures of like their grandmother who they didn't know excuse me their great grandmother who they didn't know I always say you wouldn't be here without her like not as a you know they don't have to do anything with that but the recognition that it began so long ago for all of us yeah. like you know if you and I hadn't gone to Drake these three girls wouldn't be here we met at school yeah you know what I mean and these choices like. One last thought about that, because I drove Cameron back to Iowa yesterday, and we were talking about choices and about life. And, you know, she applied to 11 different schools and got into most of them and had to choose, right? And I said, isn't it interesting that really it's about life paths? Oh, I was talking about the movie Past Lives, Mm. which everybody should see, by the way. It's so good. And that we choose life paths, but it doesn't mean one is better than the other. Yeah. And I said, what I knew about you, Cameron, is that no matter where you you chose, you were going to be fine. There isn't a right choice. There is a right choice right now for the reasons that you have today versus where am I going to be? You know, like uh, we do a lot of like navigating of what everybody says the best school is or what everyone says the best path is for me. It's irrelevant. What's the best thing for you right now? Because no matter what path you take, many believe you know, I mean, you'll be fine no matter what, but many believe things work out the way they're supposed to no matter what. Fate. Yeah. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. You know. Anyway. Uh, in closing, buy tickets to the conference. We got, I don't know, about 40, 40 spots left, something like that. Um, tickets, or less. Tickets going fast. Um, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald head of beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicago area, 630 and we will catch you next week. Cue the bu- the music. Keep trucking. Hey, everybody.
everybody. We're thrilled to announce that the Zen Parenting Conference is back live and in person in 2024. This year, our exclusive event will be centered around teens. Why? Because 30 years ago, the greatest threats to teen health were drunk driving, pregnancy, and illicit drugs. Today, it's currently anxiety, depression, suicide, self-harm, cyberbullying, and serious mental health disorders. Their experience is vastly different than our own. So let's get together and talk about it. We owe it to them to listen, to have honest conversations, and to live our way through it together. If you're currently parenting a teenager or have an emerging teen, this is an event you absolutely won't want to miss. We have limited seating this year, so secure your spot now. Go to zenparentingradio.com. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.